and uh, encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 2. And you might be thinking, cool, it's a bit early to be reading this, Andy, but it's not. <laughs> it's just round the corner. So, um, Luke chapter 2, verse 1 says this In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord God. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word, concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And then it says, but Mary pondered up all these things in her heart. If I were to ask you this question, um, well, a couple of questions this morning, along the lines of what Joe was talking about earlier on, what could be better in your relationship with God today? What could be better if you was honest and you had a good look at your, your life as a Christian? What could be better in your relationship with God? Or is there something missing in your relationship with God? Is there something that you just know is missing? You, you yearn for it. You're stuck. You're stuck. I'm not going to ask you to turn to your neighbor and, and talk to them about it or anything like that. I'm not going to make you feel un uncomfortable this morning. I simply want you to be humble and honest and just say to yourself, you know, what is it, Lord? What is it, Lord, that could be better? What is it, Lord, that's missing, that's not there? Just really sort of like be open to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you this morning. In this reading this morning, we see the shepherds receiving this news of Christ 
being born. Uh, and every one of them going through the full range of emotional experiences. Every single person in that particular uh, uh, passage that we read there, there was terror. They were terrified. You know, I think I would be probably if angels started singing and appearing and bringing me uh, a, a revelation of that kind. I think I would be, I would be terrified. The shepherds were terrified. There was great joy. There was great joy. Great joy for all the people. This is what they were hearing about. This is what they were longing for. There was praise. The heavenly host. I don't know how many angels there were, but I picture thousands and thousands all singing praises to God. There was curiosity. What, what does this mean? What does this mean? There was amazement. It says that all were amazed. There was telling everyone. There was evangelization going on. The shepherds told everyone because of this amazing thing that had happened. But there's also thoughtful meditation. Mary pondered these things, pondered these things in her own heart. Think of all those things that we've just mentioned there. Is that your experience of God? Is that in your walk with Jesus? Is there, is there any of those missing? Because there shouldn't be. There should be all those kinds of things. You might be saying terror. Should there really be terror in my experience of God? Well, yeah, if you're leading not such a godly life, there should be terror. There should be a holy fear that draws you back, back to God. But there should be curiosity. There should be great joy. There should be amazement. When you pick up your Bible, if you pick up your Bible, there should be amazement because that's a living experience of your walk with God. There should be a time when you want to just tell everyone who you know. If it's not there, you're stuck in some way. You're not doing what God wants you to do. God's giving you his Holy Spirit to give you power to tell everyone. Do you thoughtfully meditate? Or you just read your, your daily five minute with God and, and get on with the rest of the day, the chaos of the day. Are any of those experiences missing in your experience of God? On our weekend away last week, uh, if you didn't come, you really missed it because it was fantastic. It was really good getting to know everyone, getting to know people uh, a lot better. I think the weekend away, I don't think a year's worth of Sundays would have created the same relationship as a, as a weekend away does. And uh, it was really, really brilliant. Thank you to everyone who worked so hard in, in making it uh, such a success. But if you came on the weekend away, you, you'll have heard me talking about the page in your Bible that is uh, the page separating the Old Testament from the New Testament. That thin page, that wafer-thin page, uh, represents 400 years of history. It's really hard to grasp that, but between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's 400 years of history. Some would call it, some theologians call it, the gap. The gap. Uh, it's not all that helpful to think of it as a gap because that sort of implies that nothing happened in that gap or that God wasn't doing anything. In fact, there's a tremendous amount of history in that particular period of, uh, of time. But um, 
Some people have described it as that period of time where dark times, dark and fearful times, and there's a lot of truth in that. Oppression, corruption were abounded at this particular time in between the Old and New Testament. As Daniel prophesied in the Old Testament, kingdoms would rise and subject the Jewish people, the kingdoms of, of the Greeks, the Macedonians, the Roman empires had brutally subjected the Jewish people and used them for their own ends and for their own gain in that period of time. But God was at work. God was at work during that time. He was not careless towards his people. He was not helpless in what things were unfolding. The Greeks, the Macedonians, the Romans were at the forefront of developing transportation systems and networks, shipping networks and roads for transportation. It was, uh, it was these developments that, it were, that were established by these kingdoms that were not necessarily godly kingdoms, they were far from it, but it was the networks that they set up that enabled the gospel at just the right time to be spread far and wide throughout the known world at that time. As, as God commissioned his people to go out in the power of the Holy Spirit, they went along the roads that the Romans had built. They traveled on ships that the uh, Macedonians and the Greeks had opened up the shipping lanes. And God had enabled this network and this infrastructure to be created in that gap. There weren't silent times in many ways. God was doing stuff, and he was bringing his message at just the right time. People have called them silent times. And again, not necessarily all that helpful, because they weren't silent times. They weren't silent times. God was doing stuff. Yes, there was no inspired writings at that time. And that's why there's no, uh, there's no book written or letter written in that period of time to God's people that's in the holy canon of Scripture. But there were faithful people. There were faithful people around. We read in the Gospels, don't we, of Simeon and Anna, prophet and prophetess, who were looking out. They knew the Scriptures they knew what God had promised, and they were looking out for the Messiah to be born. And God granted them the pleasure of seeing the baby who, who was being born. So there were faithful people at, at, at that time. But this was a time of war. This was a time where politics and religion suffocated the people. The Sadducees were the politicians of their day. They were rich. They were powerful in terms of material wealth, but they were spiritual skeptics. They were deniers of the resurrection. They were deniers of the miraculous. The other counterparts were the Pharisees. They were religious, but they were religious bigots of that time. They, they followed rule and practice and they enforced it. And they were, they were people who lauded their religiosity over the rest of the people. They filled people with shame and guilt and fear, preventing them from having a proper relationship with God, dragging them away and filling them with religious form and religious practice. But there were also pregnant times, pregnant times. They were dark and silent, and that could be a pretty good way of describing it. 
but they were also heavily pregnant times. Remember the weight of Old Testament prophecy from Genesis to Malachi that was about to unfold a huge prophetic wave crashing on the shore, spreading the good news everywhere. There were two young women who were pregnant. One pregnant with the baby full of the Holy Spirit inside of her, John the Baptist. The other pregnant by the Holy Spirit and about to give birth to the Son of God. And the angelic hosts about to assemble and powerfully announce this happening. So where did they go to proclaim such a, a long-awaited event? Where did they go? Did they go to the, the busiest place? Did they go to the most cosmopolitan place? Did they go to the journalists? Did they go to the, well, they didn't have TV or radio companies in that time. Where did they go? Luke records, in the fields, outside the village, there were shepherds. There were shepherds. Why would you, after all that time, why would you, why would you take that first message to shepherds in fields outside of the little place called Bethlehem? These were uneducated people. Shepherding would be a job you ended up with, not what you aspired to. It had certainly been demoted from the times of Abraham and, and David. Shepherding wasn't a job that you wanted to do. It was a job that you ended up with. These were uneducated people. They were unreligious people. They, their job made it so that they couldn't attend temple. They were out in the fields all the time. It said they lived out in the, out in the fields. They were unreligious. They were not part of the in crowd, as it were. They were shunned, they were scorned, they were comedic figures really in that day and age. They were insignificant, treated as outcasts. They were very much discriminated against. They smelled a bit and that was the, that was the least of their problems. They were ordinary. In fact, they were less than ordinary. Shepherds were the underclass. Their reputation, not good at all. So 4,000 years of anticipation, 400 years of preparation in that gap between the Old and the New Testament. And shepherds are the first to hear. Why is that? Why is that? Why does God do that? What's God up to? Has God lost his mind? None of this sounds really wise or strategic by our standards, our human standards, modern-day advertisers or marketing people would laugh out loud with this kind of a, this kind of a strategy. But Isaiah 55 verse 8 says this, it reminds us, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. He sends angels. He sends angels Notice how in verse 9, everything changes when angels appear. Angels are appearing all over the place. Angels have appeared to Joseph. Angels have appeared to Mary. Angels have appeared to Zachariah. And here angels are appearing to the shepherds. When angels appear, dark becomes light. 
The radiance of God's glory surrounds them. Silent becomes noisy. Suddenly, armies of heaven are praising God. Pregnant gives birth. The Savior has been born tonight. The insignificant become significance. I bring you good news of great joy. I bring you, shepherds, the ordinary experience, the extraordinary. And maybe this, maybe this is the wisdom of God here. Maybe this is the, the strategy of the Father. The insignificant are made significant in him. The ordinary are made special by his will, by his intention. And because of this, even the discriminated are not discriminated by God. They are not pushed away. They are not hidden. They are not told to shut up. I bring you good news of great joy for everyone, says God. In Matthew's gospel, he recalls what Isaiah wrote in chapter 7, verse 14. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is what's happening here. This is what's happening in this scene. God is coming from the glory of, of heaven to earth to be with us the ordinary the scrubbers if you like we're scrubbers compared to a lot of people god god is bringing that message of of hope just imagine for a moment what that actually means to you and i what that good news message actually means to every single one of them from from majesty from the glory from the splendor beyond anything we can imagine to be with us, Emmanuel, the insignificant and the ordinary, the undeserving and the downright rebellious. Imagine how the shepherds felt. Yeah, they were terrified, but they were amazed. They were curious. They were full of joy. They wanted to tell. Up until this point throughout history, man's encounters with God had been absolutely terrifying. In Genesis 15, God was a smoking brazier, a smoking furnace. In Exodus 13, he was a pillar of fire. In 2 Kings 2, he was a whirlwind, a hurricane. But here, in this new era, this New Testament, he comes as a baby, wrapped in swaddling. The Almighty becomes the all-vulnerable. We sing the song lines, don't we? You came from heaven to earth to show the way. And do we ever stop to contemplate what that actually means when we sing those lines? What it actually meant for him to come from heaven to earth was bad enough. But to be born in a stable, to be laid in a manger, to live, to live so that he might die... Philippians chapter 2 says this, Jesus Christ, who, though he was God, did not demand or cling to his rights as God, but laid aside his majesty and glory, taking the disguise, Eugene Peterson says, of a slave and becoming like a man, like men. 
And he humbled himself even further, going so far as to actually die a criminal's death on the cross. Interestingly, John in his gospel quotes Jesus in chapter 10, verse 11, saying this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus saw himself as a shepherd. If God is with us, if God is with us, are we with him? Are we actually with him? Do we make the effort to be with him? If God has made such an effort to be with you and I, do we make the effort to be with him? If God has left glory, if God has left the majesty of heaven to come to earth to be with us, do we recognize that? Do our lives reflect that? Or are we missing something? What's stopping you? What's stopping you being with him right now? What's getting in the way of your relationship with him, having a, a strong, true, honest, humble relationship with him? What's keeping you from being near him? Is it like a lack of your own discipline? You know, you factor in time to eat, time to sleep, time to watch television, time to do all the other things. Do you factor in time to be with God? Time to spend time with him. Is it, is it a habit or a lifestyle that you don't really want to give up? Is it fear of what it would cost you, what it would make you, what kind of person it would make you? How much do you sense his presence in your life? Look at what he did to be with you. Look at what he gave up to be with you. Remember my question, what could be better in your relationship with God today? What's missing in your relationship with him? If you look at the response of the shepherds and you measure your own life, allow yourself to be challenged. Allow yourself to be, to be arrested and said, do I, do I wonder? Do I really wonder at God? Do I really stand in awe of him? Am I curious? Am I filled with, with great joy? Have I got that anticipation of the shepherds? Am I terrified sometimes? Ban, do you want to come up? If you look at the shepherds, they received God's revelation. Great joy and praise filled their hearts. They believed God. They believed God was real. That created a curiosity and amazement in them. They told everyone. They were enthusiastic and eager. They worshipped God. They glorified him. Is that true? Is that true of my experience, of your experience today? Do you experience great joy and great praise? Or is there something not quite there? Do you have... Do you have a trouble believing God, believing in God? Are you enthusiastic and eager in your experience of God? Do you tell others about him? Or do you long to tell others about him? Maybe there's a blockage there. Maybe you're stuck. Maybe there's a fear. Do you actually glorify him? Do you let worship fly out of your heart in not just what you sing, but what you do? in your life from Monday to, to Saturday? Is it just a Sunday thing that you worship God? Or do you 
constantly have an ear open to God, being obedient to what he's saying, reaching out in love with his message and with his uh, will for your life. Maybe, maybe there is something that you need to get rid of. Maybe there's that hurdle that's constantly there. Maybe you need prayer this morning. I'm going to encourage you. We've got a prayer team. And we're going to sing. And we're going to close our meeting. But if there's something stuck in your life, if there's something preventing you having a deeper, more honest, most humble relationship with God this morning, if you lack the things that the shepherds had, God wants you to have them this morning. And you respond to God. You come forward. Come and be prayed for. You don't have to tell people your life story. You just have to say, I am stuck. I want you to pray. Or you could say, I just, I just fail to tell people about my faith. Will you pray for me? Receive the Holy Spirit this morning. It might be that you just do not flow in worship. Come. Come and be prayed for. Come and get touched by the Holy Spirit this morning. Let's stand.